Welcome to Higher Ground with Julian King. Yeah, good evening, everyone. Jules with you. Higher Ground this Wednesday night, 24th of August, 2022. Great to have your company wherever you're tuned in. SEN 1170 Sydney, SEN Q693 in Bridgman. Good evening to our friends north of the Tweed, 1620 on the Gold Coast. And via the SEN app, the open line, as always, is open 1300 011170 and the text line 0457. 736736. Joining us on the show tonight, Ellie Cole. Really looking forward to this chat. The recently retired Paralympic swimmer, 15 years. She cleaned up in London, got a bag full in Rio, and then uh, it was Swan Song was the jewel in the pool. Do you remember how emotional Kate Campbell got talking about Ellie during the Com Games? She's a ripper. We're going to catch up with her shortly, see what she's going to do uh, post-swimming career. And Alex Seal, okay, the mad Russian. I'm going to have to confer on him my own nickname, I think. He's going to be here as well. As I said, that text line, 0457 736 736. Uh, I'll get distracted because they're Optus Sport or Fox, rather, are replaying that Marcus Rashford goal to put United up to nil against Liverpool. It was a beautiful, beautiful morning. Now, forget mornings. Let's talk last night, the NRL judiciary. Jimmy Tamo, uh, well done to him, I guess you have to say. Successfully fought the grading of his contrary conduct charge, which will allow him to pull on the Tigers jersey just one last time against the green machine, the Raiders at Leichhardt. So, look, you know what? I, I, I'm all for protecting the integrity of the referees, and it needs to be done. But I don't know. Even getting older, it's, I'm kind of glad that he gets to play again, James Tamo, because it would be a sad way to end a, a very decorated career in the NRL, if indeed he does hang up the boots. It's sort of been mooted that, oh, it's going to be his last game. We don't know what his future holds. He, he's open to offers because we don't know what's going to happen beyond the end of the season. But as the Herald reports, he said, I'll, I'll tell you what, if the result didn't go well tonight, it would have been hard to live with myself knowing that was my last game just gone on the weekend. To play one more time with them will be unreal. I'm pretty happy with that. If it's my last game, I'm not too sure. Then he goes on to say, Tamo, we'll see where the off-season goes and it could be the last time I suit up. Everything is on the table, including retirement. I'll wait and see. Anyway, it was the two-man panel, Michael Hagen and Bobby Lidner. Took took nearly an hour, so they, they looked at it pretty closely. Took nearly an hour to downgrade the charge. And apparently, when he was shown the footage of him and Ben Cummins, James Tamo, he said, I'm embarrassed and appalled by my behaviour. Called him effing incompetent. He said, I played 300 games, never spoken that way to a ref. I'm coaching kids. How do I explain that behaviour to them? It's a fair point. How do they look up to someone like me when they see that on TV? Now, he was first warned not to back chat. This was after just three minutes when he complained about the Roosters getting their hands in the play of the ball. So, you know, you can't say, oh, well, they're thrashing. It's heat of the moment. And he's, it was emotional because he was warned. They've got out the wrong side of bed. Anyway, it is what it is. Yes. Here, let's have a listen, in fact, to what James Tamer had to say after the hearing. It's hard enough to, to miss a week, don't get me wrong, but with what's happened, it, it's deserved. So it's hard, it's going to be hard to watch the boys go out there. Um, you know, that was in the forefront of my mind, was, was letting the boys down, um, especially being such a young group. Letting the boys down. He's the leader of the pack, James Tamo. Anyway, good luck to him. He gets to pull on the jersey, and I'm sure what more we can add to that story. Of course, the penultimate round of the regular season of the NRL gets underway tomorrow night. The Bronx and the Eels. You hit all the action live right here on SEN, but Brisbane... They need to find some form quick smart or they are going to be watching the finals from the couch. They've got Parramatta and then they've got the Dragons and that's no gimme. Final round, given their current form. I mean, a top eight team at this stage of the year conceding 60 to another top eight team. 
in Melbourne. It, it doesn't happen. It should not happen. And Selwyn Cobbo trained with the Reggies. So people think he's been dropped. And Kevy said, no, no, he's just a bit tired. He's having a spell this week. So Jordan Pereira is coming into the side. But a couple of games remaining in the regular season. We know Penrith are clinched a minor premiership. Uh, but, you know, there's still outside of them, there's eight more teams. And I say eight more because you count Canberra currently sitting in ninth. They've got a cruisy run home. They've got Manly and the Tigers, compared to the others, of course. They find a way to win. I mean, they were gone against Newcastle. They came back, kept their finals hopes alive. The Sharks could still end second. Top four is set. Penrith, Cowboys, Sharks, Melbourne. Roosters are the form team, but they've got Melbourne and the Rabbitohs. That is a wretched run home. Parramatta, you know, they'll be okay in consistency. All that's been the issue for them all season. But then, you know, when they put it together, they can compete with anyone in the competition. They've beaten Penrith twice, they've beaten the Storm. Rabbitohs, uh, they would have been looking at a top four at, at one point. Tough draw, though. Top four hopes are gone. But their form has been pretty reasonable. They've got to upset the Cowboys and the Roosters. So they've got a tough run home. I reckon they'll get the Cows. The Roosters, I mean, how good is that game going to be? First game at Allianz Stadium. Top eight position on the line. South Sydney, Sydney Roosters. Uh, you know what? They, they could not have scripted this better. They really couldn't have. The NRL would just be loving this. And the broadcasters, for that matter. So the current ladder, uh, a few more changes and permutations to take place over the past couple of rounds. But just on the Broncos, I mean, they are spiralling. Who would have said that a month ago, that they're a chance of missing the A? They, they look so well cemented, Brisbane. And I, I hope they do. I'd be disappointed if they did not. I think we need a strong Brisbane Broncos for the sake of the national game. But 60-point to 12 drubbing. And they are they're bunnies too for Melbourne. They just can't beat them. They've lost the last 11 at Suncorp to Melbourne. That gives an indication of how one-sided those affairs are. Clearly missed the influence of Pat Carrigan. that He can't come back quick enough. They're going to make the eight first. But they haven't won a title, Brisbane, since 2006. The nearest they got, 2015, that wonderful grand final. But the Raiders, they are looking to pounce. 0457 736 736. Now, we did mention the Penny Pampers and how they've secured the minor premiership. They're doing pretty well as well. Sean O'Sullivan and Jamin Salmon in for the injured Jerome Luai and the suspended Nathan Cleary that missed James Fisher-Harris the past couple of weeks. He's going to come back refresh. Uh, Nathan's not injured, so you can imagine he'll be training his backside off. In first week of finals, gee, you wouldn't want to meet him. You wouldn't want to meet him. Uh, they were good. And Sean, this shows how good they are because somebody like Sean O'Sullivan was probably arguably the best on the park last week for Penrith. Uh, you know, I hear this term a lot in footy, it, uh, the next man up mentality. But you know, in the case of the Panthers, that most certainly rings true. But they've got a bit of a contract drama at the moment. They are reportedly set to go into battle with up to five clubs for the signature I'll call him the Tamora Tornado, Liam Martin. He's 25. He's been pretty good. In the last couple of months, he's been really good. He's declined Penrith's latest extension offer. So now Penrith have got nine weeks to fend off rivals. This is according to the Daily Telegraph. So he's off contract following the 2023 season. But, you know, it's a silly season now because a year out and everybody's going to just say, okay, here we got, oh, this bloke, oh, this bloke. This is the folly of the current set of rules in rugby league is that you can sign them a year out. It, is, it makes a mockery of the whole system, really, doesn't it? 
because then so much water can go onto the bridge. Your form could dip. You could have a change of coach, and all of a sudden they get cold feet. They want to backflip, and we're seeing that with Papali and the Tigers. And speaking of, I mean, the Eels could come to the table if he honours his Tigers contract departs Parramatta. They might turn their attention to Liam Martin. Word is that the Dragons, Tigers, Storm and Sharks have all registered their interest in the back row. So Liam Martin, his future hanging in the balance. His management, he's managed by Alan Ganey, revealed that the Panthers yet to budge and upgrade their offer. And he said uh, the club's reluctance to be able to offer an upgrade at this stage is a little bit of a sticking point. And aren't we seeing that with Ben Hunt as well? Two year So he's contracted at the end of next year. He can start, well, he can hit the open market come November 1. He, he understood that he'd get a downgraded deal, but 1.5 mil over two years, 700 and 800 is what I'm led to believe that he sort of balked at that. There are difficult decisions to make, really difficult decisions. So Martin and his management will reportedly hold talks with Penrith Power Brokers after their match against the Warriors on Friday night. But it is the silly season beginning. You know, where will Munster go? Faith and Asta said, no, we'll hit the open market. Where will Ben Hunt go? Will he stay? Will he stay on the proviso that Hook remains coach? And that is far from being a certainty beyond the end of next year. And for a team like the Panthers, this is always going to happen for teams that have sustained success at the top of the ladder. Eventually, they'll have to let some go. We saw it with Melbourne. You know, Inglis went and Falau went and Ryan Hoffman went. And then eventually Cooper Cronk went. But they're still pretty good, Melbourne. Eventually, you're going to have to let someone. Success inflates your price, Right. And in a salary capped environment, something has to give. Something has to give. Which is why recruitment, salary cap management, you know, development, play development is an art form. It is an art form and the key to success. Having a good coach helps as well. 0457 736 736. Now, as we wind up footy season, we turn our attention to cricket season. We've got some one days starting shortly in the north of Australia. But the inaugural Big Bash League draft is on Sunday. Is on Sunday. It takes place after the completion of the first ODI between Australia and Zimbabwe. And if you like it, just like in the AFL draft, which is the most boring sporting television known to man, uh, that will take place uh, and be broadcast on Foxtel and KO. Now, it's set to revolutionise Australia's T20 competition, attracted nominations from some of the highest, or the biggest, I should say, names in world cricket. Faf Duplessis, well-loved in these parts. <laughs> Ex-South African captain, Andre Russell, Kyron Pollard, two of the all-time great T20 players. Trent Bolt, then got the English trio, Jason Roy, Liam Livingston, Sam Billings. They've all been seen here before. They are among 12 platinum players who could earn top dollar with successful bids. So all in all, and this gives you an indication of the success, 332 players have nominated. I think the latest I saw, Ross Taylor, the New Zealand veteran, 332 players including the great Darren Stevens, the journeyman from county cricket, is 40-odd. steve wouldn't you love to see him? I'd pay to watch steve play down under. That'd be beautiful. Be beautiful. So basically, a breakdown like this, players have nominated in different categories, and these are based on their potential wages. So you've got platinum, gold, silver, and bronze sections of the draft. So round one will comprise platinum players only. Then gold and platinum can be selected in round two. Gold and silver selected in round three and silver and bronze in round four. So clubs can select a maximum of three internationals and players listed for retention can have bids matched by a club they played for last summer. So renegades came stone motherless last. They get first crack at a platinum player. Say they 
they want to have a dig at Rashid Khan, who's the premier bowler in T20 cricket, the wrist spinner. So this is what I think is going to happen. They'll go, you know what? We're going all in. We want. We're going to choose Rashid Khan. But you get a retention pick. So Adelaide Strikers, who was his club, said, no, 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 sorry, we got him. And then back to the table they go. So that's how to play. I might actually check in Sunday night. I'm curious. It's the first. You always remember your first, don't you? So be curious to see how that all plays out. Now, just to some basketball. You know, this is one of the great comeback stories, and I think I said it on this program a few weeks ago when she was named in the the Opals squad. And further off the back of Andrew Johns and the miracles of modern medicine. This story is a triumph for medicinal cannabis, and I'm referring to the great Lauren Jackson, our greatest ever basketballer. So Lauren Jackson, who thought she was gone, uh, is now going to play for Southside Flyers in the 2022-23 WNBL season. As far as comebacks go, I don't think they're much better than that. So her return to professional basketball this year followed a nine-year absence. Nine-year absence. That is one of the sports stories of the year. And it just goes to show how good she is. You're away from nine years. How old is she now? 40 almost? It's just you come back and you're dominant. 41 she is. She's 41. Defied chronic injuries and father time. Regained her fitness and form for one last professional stint. So she laced up the, the pumps for Albury Wodonga Bandits in the NBL1 competition this season and excelled. No great surprise. And her form for the band has helped her earn a remarkable international recall for the Australian Opals. And she's going to represent the women's team at this year's World Cup in Sydney. That is a comeback. So the Aussie women, they're going to aim to go one better after finishing second behind the United States at the 2018 World Cup in Spain. She may be the Opals' oldest player, but she's proven with Aubrey that, you know, she's very capable of starring on the big stage. Matty Logue is all over that story. It's a really interesting article too, and I'll get through this later because it's quite funny. And it's about the art of sledging in cricket. So this was written by Nick Holt. And it was published in The Telegraph in London, republished by, by the Nine Papers. And it reads, How Australia Tried to Sledge England to Ashes Defeat. And uh, so there's this new Ben Stokes doc- documentary that's just come out. And they go into the stump mics and replay some of the audio for that famous Headingley test. It's quite funny. In fact, I'll give you a little teaser. Rory Burns, the sledge was, he won't talk now. He doesn't have his big boys around. How many runs until he starts talking? 20? 30? Burns edges Josh Hazel to slip for seven off 21. So there you go. So that's a little teaser for you. And there is an absolute beauty. Suffice to say, they're giving it to Stokes and then all of a sudden they could see the game slipping from their grass. They got a lot quieter, the Australians. And you can understand why. We're up and running this Wednesday night in high ground. SEN 1170 Sydney, 693 and SENQ in Brisbane, 1620 on the Gold Coast. And across the globe via the SEN app, 0457 736 736. That is the text line number. We will clear our first break. And on the other side of this, I'll catch up with one of our most famous and decorated Paralympians, swimmer, Ellie Cole. You've got a friend in me. You've got a friend in me. Well, I thought it was appropriate to kick it off with that famous Randy Newman tune because, you know what, it brings a smile to your face. That, of course, is the theme to Toy Story. We'll tie that in in a moment's time, but I'm delighted to be speaking to Ellie Cole this evening, the, the very, very recently retired Paralympian, dominant in the pool, four gold in London, record medal hall in Rio. And then at Tokyo 2021, which was really, yes, she became 
Australia's most decorated female Paralympian when she won her 17th Paralympic medal at the game. She was then chosen as the flag bearer for the closing ceremony. She swam in Birmingham and she decided for one last fling in the recent duel in the pool, which was a, a ton of fun. She's also handing the basketball court too, I might add. If anyone deserves a spell after, what, 15 years of grind, it's her. She's on the line right now. Ellie, hello. Hello. Yes, you are talking to me at the end of a 15-year grind and it feels great. <laughs> oh, I bet it does. Hey, did you like the Toy Story intro? So just give us a bit of background here. I remember seeing this this foot of yours with Andy inscribed at the bottom of it. Uh, were you a fan, were you? A Toy Story Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, we're on pool deck with my jaw and the pool teammates over the weekend and one of the breaststrokers of the team asked if he could write Andy on the bottom of my prosthetic foot. Um, and I thought it was hilarious until uh, one of our young swimmers asked, you know, who's Andy? Oh, he didn't understand, the, he didn't understand the context. That's it. We're officially <laughs> over the hill. Who's Andy? That'll do me. <laughs> did you did you explain it to them? No, I just said, just go away. <laughs> yeah, go. You don't deserve to know who Andy is, honestly. You, Ellie, were the first para-athlete to join an Olympic program. You know, the thing about swimming and we work a lot with James Magnuson here. He says it can be a really lonely life. I mean, and you've spoken about how important it is to, I guess, to have the right people around you because it does have a way, doesn't it, the sport of, I guess, swallowing you up of just, you know, that routine can become so common. It just suck all the enjoyment out of it. I mean, and there was a time, wasn't there, where you had thought about maybe throwing in the towel? Well, I, I thought that a few times. Um, you're certainly right. I think swimming's quite an isolated sport and there is a reason why there is something called the black line fever. It's because we stare at the bottom of a pool for six hours a day um, and it, it really is the team around you that can pull you through. So whilst you are looking at the black line, you still have a team around you. You have your squad mates, um, you have your coach and all of your support staff as well. Um, yeah, it's it's critically important to be able to have a, a great team around you just to, I suppose, let you enjoy the sport as much as you can because it can be really challenging at times. And, yes, you are right. I did think about throwing the towel in a few times. I think most athletes who have been in a sport for longer than five or six years will think that more than once. Um, but, you know, I'm, I'm very happy that I've hung on. We've seen some incredible things in Paris sport. Um, you know, everybody watched the Tokyo Paralympics due to COVID as well. Um, yeah. But just recently over the weekend, you know, we had our first ever um, Paralympic integrated race with the Abelbods in a really uh, world first event. And it was so much fun racing in the same Swimming races, Emma McKeon, and standing up behind her on the block. So that was really cool. It's pretty cool. We're, we're glad you didn't chuck in the towel. But let's talk about that, this this mixed relay and combining the able-bodied athletes with the para-athletes. I mean, uh, could that down the track conceivably be an official, I guess, you know, international meet or at a Games? I, I know logistically there's a few things that have to, to sort of iron out, but could you see that happening at some point? I think logistically, you know, Olympics and Paralympics are separated um, for good reasons. Mm -hmm. And so it would be difficult at a large multi-sport competition like that. But, you know, we have our Commonwealth Games where we have integrated para-athletes where I think just with the right format, we could potentially um, introduce an event such as a para-able-bod relay. And one of the wonderful things about Commonwealth Games is that the next Games is actually in Melbourne in Victoria. So... 
Um, I'm hoping that, you know, we'll have quite a number of para-athletes or people with lived experience anyway on the organising committee who will really push for this because um, I know the public in Sydney loved to see the para-integrated race. It was one of their favourite events. I've read that time and time again um, on social media. So I'm really pushing for it for the Commonwealth Games. Mackenzie Cohen, uh, four-time Paralympic gold medalist, sought you out at the recent duel in the pool. She, she said she wanted to meet one of her heroes. How does that make you feel? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, I suppose I have been around for quite a long time and I've really seen the landscape of parasport change. And, you know, a, a lot of people, I, I suppose, do give me quite a lot of credit for that. But it's not just me. You know, it's our sports administrators it's our sponsors who want to jump on board the Paralympic movement. It's the Australian public who want to watch Paralympic sport. People can't get enough of Paralympic mm. sport at the moment. So, um, you know, to see myself and other para-athletes inspiring young swimmers or, you know, people that don't even have disabilities to see the world in a more equal place than they had to prior to watching para-sport. Um, you know, I've retired reflecting on the impact that we've had as para-athletes. And whenever I think about the impact that I've had as a para-athlete, very rarely do I think about standing on the medal podium. So um, we've done some pretty incredible work. Uh, You have. Yours is an important voice. Uh, Do you see yourself, I guess, as a a torchbearer? Is it a a responsibility that comes easy to you? Do you relish it or are you uh, reluctant? Uh, I think it's something that I'm just incredibly passionate about. So I certainly do relish... Um, you know, advocating for people with disabilities, whether or not, whether or not they're an athlete, um, because I suppose in the early 90s when I grew up with a disability, there weren't many opportunities for people with disabilities. You certainly didn't see people with disabilities in media. Um, and, you know, once I joined mainstream sport, I was treated so differently and I couldn't understand why. Um, And that was really heartbreaking, I suppose, just to watch my parents really fight for equality for me when I was a young girl. And then as I got older, standing up for myself and, you know, questioning, you know, why aren't people treated the same? Why aren't people given the same opportunities just because of their differences? Um, And so it's just something that I've been incredibly passionate about. So um, I I, I do relish in it. I really do. And it's something that I want to continue on um, well and truly post-swimming. I love this Instagram post and I want to share a bit with our listeners. And you wrote, being an athlete with a disability, I I knew I was different. I was called an inspiration just for showing up. I wanted to be the best in the world, but I was always gently reminded by the world around me that I was broken. There are so many things I want to tell a 14-year-old, Ellie. She wanted to stand on top of the world after all. And ironically, while chasing the clock and winning an inordinate amount of medals, I learned to measure success by what truly matters. A para-swimming showcase... The best of humanity and taught me the most important thing, broken crayons still colour. Oh, I thought it was really beautifully articulated, Elliot. It's interesting. Um, uh, Dylan Alcott said upon being named Australian of the Year, he says, I'm 31 years. It took me 28 years to feel fully worthy with my disability. Is there still a fight even now uh, that people with disability are having? Uh, you said, you know, you're sort of always made to feel different. Is that still the case or, you, or, or are we pushing past that? I think that disability is certainly a conversation point at this point in time, particularly for, you know, because of the Paralympic movement, people really fighting for equality. We have Dylan Olcott, like you mentioned, as Australian of the Year. But, you know, facts are facts. I still look around my communities and see that it is still significantly harder for somebody with a disability to even be able to access the communities. 
um, let alone employment, let alone you know equal opportunity when it comes to relationships or even just you know accessing superannuation, accessing medical care. Um, there are still so many things within our daily day-to-day -day lives that can be improved when it comes to disability. And sure, sport has certainly shone a spotlight with disability, but it's certainly glorified it. And um, when you look at day-to-day -day living of, of being a person with a disability, it's certainly not all gold medals. It's certainly not all world-class achievements and world records and personal best times. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a hard grind. Um, and so that's why I'm very passionate about, um, I, I suppose, raising awareness of disability and, and what needs to be improved in our communities because I've had such a wonderful opportunity when it comes to sport, but not everybody has that opportunity, particularly if they're not an athlete, yeah. um, if they have a disability. And so like the, that equal opportunity for me is something that I really want to drive forward for everybody. You've also been pushing hard, haven't you, Ellie, for better pay parity between para and able-bodied athletes and medalists. How, how far down that road are we? Well, we did see in Tokyo that there was pay parity between Olympians and Paralympians. Um, I, I think that that never would have happened if we didn't have the support of our Australian communities behind us. I, you know, I've been fighting for this for such a long time. Um, and I always just assumed that people, people didn't care that Paralympians weren't paid. And it wasn't that nobody cared, it's that nobody knew that mm. there was um, a disparity between Olympians and Paralympians when it came to um, performance bonuses. Um, and so one of my good friends, uh, she's a rugby sevens player, Chloe Dalton, um, brought to the attention of the Australian public that we weren't paid the same. And there was a public outcry and um, Scott Morrison, who was our prime minister at the time, I think was honestly pressured by our Australian community to stand up and say, you know, we deserve to treat people with disabilities better than this. Um, so whilst we still have, whilst we have pay parity amongst Olympians and Paralympians, I certainly would like to see that pay parity across um, you know, the four-year cycle that we have in the Paralympics, not just when the Paralympics are on. Um, but we are seeing Paralympic athletes being supported better than we ever have before, but that doesn't mean that it's equal. So we certainly do have a long way to go. I know that the Australian Institute of Sport are very committed to supporting our para-athletes, but it's not equal yet. So I'll keep pushing until that happens. Yeah, yeah good on you too. Uh, tell me... And let our listeners know what do you, what do you do for fun? Uh, are you musically minded? Do you like to cook, uh, Ellie? What what brings you joy? <laughs> I I like to cook. I have two dogs that I like to walk as well. Yeah. Um. But a a big part of what I really enjoy doing actually is just helping others. So, currently, you know, just off the back of retirement, um, you know, mentoring young athletes. Um, I've just joined a really great role with APM, um, and that's going to continue the work that I've done in the pool, but outside of the pool, um, you know, to, I've had such a wonderful insight, I guess, into the awareness of diversity and inclusion in sport and it's something that I want to progress outside of sport. So um, I guess driving social inclusion is honestly a hobby of mine. Uh. <laughs> it's something that I, I will spend hours and hours a day reading about um, acting and making sure that, you know, we're moving forward. Um, and then on top of that, I also have just been watching Drive to Survive lately. I'm a bit of a, oh, um, so a bit good. Of a Formula One fan. What are you up? Hey, what season are you up to? I'm only up to season three. It gets um, so but 
I've been Googling a lot of Drive to Survive facts and now I think yeah. my cookies, I don't know how they work, but I've got a lot of spoilers <laughs> spoilers popping into my news feed lately. That's your own fault. That's your own fault. But but APM, you mentioned there, joining as an ambassador. But the important thing, not only about driving change, but but I guess shining a light on, on what an inclusive society means and what it looks like. So awareness is a really important component here too, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. Um, I think, you know, if we think about some of the biggest changes that we can make with disability in our communities, it's certainly through employment. And APM, you know, it's a, a business whose sole, I guess, purpose is to enhance people's lives through employment. Um, you know, if you think about the, the wonderful things that employment can do, it, it can provide some independence. It can provide a sense of belonging, a sense of purpose, as well as direction. Um, but, you know, not only do we do uh, look at employment at APM, but we also certainly consider um, health and well-being and that social uh, inclusion and participation that I was speaking about before that's so critically important. Um, so I'm super excited to be joining the team. Uh, it's, it lines, aligns perfectly with what I was trying to do in Paris sport, but across the whole globe, which is very exciting. It's not just isolated to sport. Um, and I, I really do think that we can take uh, the idea of disability and, and help people with disabilities as well as in our marginalised groups more than we ha ever have before. I'm super excited to see the work that we can do. Well, Ellie Cole, you are an ornament to Australian sport. And clearly now, uh, you know, it's nice that you're not looking down at the black line. You can put the head up and see what the big wide world has to offer. You're not taking your foot off the pedal. Uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Congratulations on your career and we look forward to the next phase. Thank you so much. We have Fox Cricket on the here in the studios at the moment. They're replaying this. It was when do you remember when Zimbabwe toured? I think we've seen them back since two thousand and three. It was in the Aussies top order: Langer, Hayden, Ponting, Martin, Steve Waugh, Lehman. So that's a pretty handy top six. Pretty handy top six. But just watching Damian Martin play, he's just been out uh, caught wish up old Trevor Grip at the opening bat. But my goodness, I mean, you'd never tie. You'd pay just to watch him hit cover drives all day. I'd pay to see him defend 20 balls, Damien Martin. He was just glorious to watch. Underrated. Underrated. Sort of forgotten man in that era. My goodness, he's a good cricketer. Really good cricketer. Speaking of cricket, this is funny. There's this uh, 60 tournament going on. We're about to start in the Caribbean. Uh, it's a 10-10 format, right? Yes, it's been around for a while, 10-10. Contested by six teams. Chris Gale is very excited. He's 43 years young. The universe boss. He says, I feel like a kid again. That's that's sort of, that's probably his go now, isn't it? 10 10 cricket, just stand and deliver. You can't soak up as many dots, though, Chris, in that form of the game. But he was interviewed. He said, you know what? It's a very short format. It's all about hitting sixes. That's what 60 is all about. And it's the number six, followed by IXTY. See what they did there. The most hilarious moment, though, he was being interviewed, Chris Gale, Universe Boss. He was quizzed if he will be seen bowling in the tournament. And this is what he said You know what? My bowling is natural. Definitely, I have to bowl. I'm the greatest off-spinner of all time. Murally won't contest that for sure. I have the best economy. Not even Sunil Narine can come close to that. Chris Gale said that. Now, my understanding is that he was saying it tongue-in-cheek. But you just never know. Chris Gale, knowing what I know of Chris Gale, he probably does some, some level believe it. Some level believe it. Yes, but, I mean, there's, there's too much cricket these days and, and wacky formats, but good luck to him. He was entertaining at his peak, and as I mentioned, that Big Bash draft on Sunday. You can catch that on Foxtel and KO.
Well, I guess this is a case where we'll have to agree to disagree. Ah, uh, the seal. Good evening to you. Nice to be with you again, Jules, mm. and to open up today. Mm. Um, my first agree to disagree is Chris Gale is the best off spinner of all time. Disagree. <laughs> On the top. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, quite sure. Are you sure? I have a feeling. I have a feeling. Delivering from that awkward height. He what do you reckon his RPM was? With the Oakley was? Blades, yeah, not much. Do you reckon? Uh, do you remember, backwards, yes. Remember in England, there's a couple of series in the Ashes, they had the, the RPMs mm. on, and Graham Swans was remarkable. He was getting up towards four or 5,000 revolutions a minute. Yeah, and he's a finger spinner. Warren's RPMs were just, oh. like, you, you talk about, you, know, you would have seen all the documentaries after the passing of Warney and... You know, Steve Waugh and, and Mark Taylor and Gavin Robertson, and they said this is young kid coming through the academy and going on these early tours, and you just heard this fizz, mm. and they'd never heard anything like it of a cricket ball going through the air. Like, <sighs> wow. Well, you need to to impart that degree of drift mm. on the ball. Drift. Incredible. Drop is a fantastic. Uh, yeah, Speaking so slightly more revs than, than, than the universe boss Chris Gale is mm. what you're telling me. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we'll get to the serious stuff. Okay. Storms. Was that not serious? No, no, no. Okay. That was very serious. Storm's no. five player announcements spaced an hour out today were absolute genius. Yes, I agree. Every club should I do agree. that. That is absolutely wonderful. You know, Paul Kent was saying, you know, it's, uh, everyone thought it was Munster and, you know, this is it's misleading. I thought, it's, it's literally the point of PR, right? <laughs> is to make it's it all misleading. Well, what is it? Who's is it, it misleading? Yeah. Because everyone thinks it. That's what they. That's the genius of it. They make you think it's got something to do with Munster. Yeah, no, no. Just, uh, this, this, bloke's, this bloke's sticking around. This that's, bloke's sticking around. That's good. No, well done to them. That's old man. It is PR one hundred and one, and they've done it very, very well. Yeah, uh, well, done. well done. Well done to the Storms, social media and marketing teams. Well done. Number two, I'm glad about things tonight. I'm glad James Tamo will get the send off that his 300 game career deserves. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, looks a bad look, but I'm, I'm happy. One more. It'd be look. It'd be a sad way to end a career. Mm. You know, to go out with a whimper. If indeed he doesn't play on, and the suggestions are that, I don't think there's a lot of nibbles out in the market there for James Tamo. He said everything's on the table, including retirement. So, do you think Andrew Fafita might end up back up at uh, the Tigers? Is a whisper. You know, the funny thing. I, I thought he was gone. Fafita, but he's, he's been pretty good this mm. year. It's like he's Fafita of old. He's a Tiger you know, sort of Do you too. get, yeah, you know, one last hurrah, go back to your, your old club and, you know, if you can use him right, you know, shades of sort of 2016. We've seen glimpses of that this year. Stay injury free. Oh, look, oh, I don't know. I'd almost be know. saying to him, if you can come here in November, mm. show me you can drop 10 kilos before Christmas. Yes. Then we'll talk about a contract. Yeah. He's got to want it though, right? Well, and that's see, this is the way you measure desire. Mm. Give players a a goal, an ultimatum. See if you hit it. Yeah, I like that. Hayden's on his way to three hundred and eighty. By the way, <laughs> yeah. he's playing well. Um, well, he beat Lara's three seventy five. He got three eighty. I don't Lara, think it was Lara his game said, though, was it? Uh, it was the game up in Cairns. It was a no. It was in Perth. Was it in Perth? Yeah, it was in okay. Perth. And then um, Lara then got it back off him. Not much. Mm. <laughs> Not long and after cost that. his team the game. 400. Mm. Mm. I'll be, speaking of cricket, I'll be watching the BBL draft. I think you touched on this earlier, but I'll be watching the BBL draft on Sunday. Mm. I think that's going to be fant- riveting theatre, at least for the first two or three rounds. Yeah. Riveting might be a slight stretch, but yeah, I'll, I'll be curious. I think there'll be a lot of curious observers. Mm. Certainly. 
Do you think there's too many people staying up to watch IPL auctions in Australia? Yeah, they're nuts. They're absolutely mm. nuts. Yeah, but you know what? Oh, look, it, it interests all the cricketing fraternity, the cricket nerds absolutely. amongst us. But th- this is has a degree of novelty about it. And I, I think in terms of promotion, the Big Bash is doing pretty well on that front. You know, it's trying to get a bit of real estate in football season. We've got the draft, the draft, draft, Big Bash. You know, people, there's a bit of whisper, mm. a bit of whisper. So. so is that an agree or a disagree? Uh, let's say agree. Okay. Yes. Wow, that's three. Incredible. Oh, I don't know if I'll get you with this one. Boring. Yes. I actually have no idea if you will get this one, okay. if you'll agree with me here. House of the Dragon mm. has hooked me back into Game of Thrones. Uh, well, I've never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. Oh, I'm, I'm one of those. You disagree. My wife is a massive GOT. Oh, fan. so in you've fact, lived in... Okay, so this is I interesting have, to me. Like you've was, lived in a household and not watched but, it. Well, no, she sort of started watching it on... I think she stole my sister-in-law's Foxtel going to started watching them late at night on the lappy. Mm. And then she was sort of too far into it and I didn't want to start at the beginning and... She goes, oh, it's so good. So, And when it was Game of Thrones, she went, no, don't disturb me. I'm going to watch the show. Okay, fair enough. The final ever episode was when the night that my daughter was born. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. That's right. 20th of May, 2019, I think, from memory. Back on demand. Uh, yeah. And I just remember the joy of having a baby was tempered by the profound disappointment of a really crap episode of Game of Thrones. <laughs> I guess that was... Can I say it? No, I won't say it, but it's just, mm. that was just rubbish. Mm. That was rubbish. Well, this first house of the dragon. Mm. Maybe get into this. And then you can sort of Prequel and take start it onto from, the... Yeah, I'd lie, actually. I'll, I'll tell you what. I, I remember watching many, many years ago on a DVD, Game of Thrones, first episode. Mm. thought, this sucks, man. It's just oh. very slow and some people on horses going from A to B. Mm. And stick I understand that you've got to sort of stick it out and push past the first sort of episode or two. Mm. And then it gets... And you've really got to focus, too. It's not one you can sort of watch passively. Or fo- focus? Yeah. Okay. Oh, a, pretty, I'm sure I can watch. focus when there's breast on the screen, yeah. <laughs> well, which I, my understanding it. is there was a, uh, uh, yes. a fair bit of it that. It doesn't take you long to get to that bit either. Okay, final it. one for mm. tonight. A 44-man All-Australian squad in the up there, Kazali, mm. completely devalues. Of course it does. They don't have representative football, so let's pick an All-Australian squad, right? Mm. And then let's pick a captain. Oh, it's, it's stupid. You don't oh. like it at all. No, no, I don't dislike it. 44, man. Yeah, it's, no, it's, it's just that's ridiculous. That's just over the it? top. Usual squad of 23. You're telling me 44, there's got to be some unworthy candidates in that in that selection. So why? I would suggest. I don't know the story behind it, but what a way to completely devalue something that, some, that, something that did mean a lot to players, particularly who weren't in contention for Dally M's and for the position players in that competition where they're. You know, midfielders always win it because they're around mm. the umpires who vote for the Brownlow all the time. So then to completely to have two in every position, just farcical. It's really upset me tonight, George. They, you know, they like to create talking points, the AFL. That's what they do, mm. right? So you, you're being cynical about it. Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. That's well, even worse. Well, 434 something? Australia, 435 as a matter of fact. <laughs> Matthew Hayden cuts one backward a point. Now he's just lifted one over long on for six. Well, we see 34 players in the Delhi M Team of the Year awards. I can certainly, I can tell you right now, get an exclusive. No. <laughs> Won't happen. Jules and High Ground break back with more.
Australia 5 for 540 in the first innings. Matthew Hayden still undefeated on. I don't have the scorecard. It's Railway Australia v Zimbabwe 2003. This is, of course, the, the then world record 380. Because Lara had the 375 and Hayden's the 380. And then Lara said, you know what? I want it back. Hit 400. Both of Brian Charles's were against England. That's a pretty good ball, actually. Straight to the pads. You get a bit of bat, chop the inside. Yes, he did. Not out. Five for 540. Yeah, Bull would missed out. He missed out. In fact, I think you'll find Adam Gilchrist at the crease might have hit 100 in a session. I could be wrong. As he pulls his ball away, run a square, another four runs down at the deep big wicket boundary. <laughs> this is fun. 0457 736 736, the text line number. Now, I did mention, speaking of cricket, at the top of the show uh, by Nick Holt in the Telegraph in London, how Australia tried to sledge England to Ashes' defeat. This is very funny. If you ever wonder what it's like to be in the middle during an Ashes test, surrounded by chirping fielders, then the new Ben Stokes documentary on Amazon transports you to the crease. Well, I like to be transported to the crease. So the footage of Stokes' epic unbeaten 135 at Headingley in 2019 is basically run every summer in the Northern Hemisphere by Sky in the UK. It's on YouTube as well. So this documentary about the new England captain, Phoenix, from the Ashes, overlays audio from the stump microphone for the first time, so it lets the viewers listen to Australian sledges as they smell a victory that would ensure the retention of the Ashes after only three tests. So former England players say it's not the swearing that gets to you, it's the little digs and the element of truth that works away inside a batter's brain. So this is sort of, you know, as as Justin Lang at the time says, banter, this is banter. England had set 359 to win after making 67 in the first innings, and they secured... That still gives me shivers just thinking about it. That unlikely victory. Uh, one wicket to spare. Of course, we had the Marcus Harris drop catch, the Nathan Lyon miss run out, the LBW that should have been out, but they had no reviews. And, I mean, this is the drama test cricket is unrivaled. I'll read it again. So here are a couple of the sledges. Uh, to Rory Burns, England opener. He won't talk now. He doesn't have his big boys around. How many runs until he starts talking? 20? 30. We don't know. that. I suspect it was Tim Payne making the comment. And the Australians have picked up, apparently Burns sledges from slip, but only when he's got his fellow fielders for support. But he's very quiet. The result, Burns edges Hazelwood to slip for seven off 21. Jason Roy, he's nominated as a platinum contender for the Big Bash draft. Another bloke who likes the word and all his mates are around, standing by himself down here, very little. Because so, apparently Jason Roy is seen by the Aussies as another Englishman who likes to chat a bit when there's those around him. Result, Roy bowled by Pat Cummins for eight, walks off. We hear him swearing at himself. <laughs> Joe Denley, the sledge. He looks straight at the screen to see if he's on the screen. Aussie suggesting he's vain. Bit of a pretty boy, not up for the fight. He actually batted pretty well, that test. Bounced out by Hazelwood, caught behind for 50. Ben Stokes, this is interesting. No worries, Stokesy. I reckon you and me make a good combination, bro. This was Nathan Lyon. So Lyon to Stokes after he misses with a swing. Lyon suggests they're a good combo because he gets them out a lot. Second sledge. You okay, Stokesy? Oh, okay. Tough guy now, eh? That was David Warner after Stokes' hit on the head. Sent his side clips flying. And then the result, well, they said the better, I suppose. Joe Root, hey, what was that? Another non-conversion by Rudy. Because <laughs> he's gotten better reason he is, to be fair, but he's well known for getting the 50s and not going on with it. Warner, by the way, was the one that make sure, made sure Root could hear him after he walks off. Because Warner caught, caught him at slip off Nathan Lyon. Out for 77. 
So that's what they're saying. Another 50 not converted to a century. Jack Leach, he's got too much on his mind. Now, as Warner and Leach uh, looks, it was, that was actually Warner who said that too much on his mind. Leach looked a bit terrified. He walks out, wipes his glasses between. Remember that? He kept wiping the glasses. And look, it was, you could argue Jack Leach just for sticking around. One of the most famous one not outs ever in Test match history. He survived long enough for Stokes to seal victory. That was quite funny, though. It's quite funny. Yeah, tough guy. Bit quiet now. What do you reckon? Start chatting when he's at 20 or 30? <laughs> 0457 736 736, that is the text line number. Uh, this is from the Sydney Morning Herald. This is put up by Adam Pengilly and Adrian Prashenko. Uh, St. George Illawarra have rejected a request from Captain Ben Hunt to have his contract tied to the future of coach Anthony Griffin as the Dragons desperately try to re-sign their best player before the World Cup. That makes sense. As brilliant as he is, you can't have him tie his future to hook. Knowing that they've worked behind the scenes. I mean, they're sort of subtly inquiring about Seraldo and a few others. So Hunt's management briefly inquired about having the Dalian medal contender sign a new deal that would align him without a Griffin. We're told the club wouldn't entertain the scenario in a new two-year extension. I think the club's made the right move here. It's a sure sign yet that the Dragons, who the Hell reported this week, had an influential figure reach out to Cameron Seraldo, are not yet convinced about Griffin. Now, if you missed that story, they're saying they got him there. He wasn't their first choice, but disciplinarian, defence-minded coach, and a good win rate. But his win rate hasn't been great. They've been leaking points. There's a lot of leaks from the club. So maybe he hasn't checked the boxes that they hope he would have checked, Anthony Griffin. So players inserting clauses into the deals, you know, contingent on who's coaching. It's becoming rarer, as it should be, too. Oh, he tried it, Ben Hunt, and good luck to him for trying it, and you can't blame him for it. He's the most influential player. But the club rightly has said no. So coach the Broncos, coach the Panthers, Anthony Griffin. He's got one year left on his deal at the Dragons. And remember that option was triggered by the club before a ball was kicked this year. I didn't have an issue with it. You know, save the speculation. People are saying, oh, can you believe it? What if they don't make that? Well, so what? Also at stake is the future of their best player who'd made no secret of his desire, Ben Hunt, to continue playing under Griffin. You helped nurture him in the Broncos system. Promising junior made him Dragons captain, and he's been great too, after McInnes left to join Cronulla. And you could say he's in a career best form. Is that the coach, or is that just him showing a degree of maturity? He's still pretty dominant at origin level. He's 32 now, tipped to battle Cronulla's Nico Hines, Penrith Dillon, Edwards and Melbourne's Cam Munster for the Dally M medal. So the Dragons want the two-year extension for Hunt, which will mean he's 35 by the end of 2025, to be finalised in coming weeks before he leaves for the World Cup as a crucial member of Mal Meninga's Kangaroo squad. But the value, this is the issue, 1.5 mil across two years, 700 and then 800. So according to sources familiar with the negotiations, the Dragons are agreed that they've been accused of undervaluing, however. Because that was what was reported, 700000 a year. Sources claim the actual figure is significantly higher. I heard, uh, interestingly, Phil Gould was talking about this on 100% footy on Monday night. And he said, you know, there are not that many top-shelf halfbacks just experience high-quality game managers in the game, so... You know, you don't get the 1.2, but I mean, 8 to 8.50, because that, that is not unreasonable for somebody of Ben Hunt, who's the Dalian medal favourite. And I agree with him. What do you think he's worth? You don't think he's worth 800,000? Of course he's worth 800,000, Ben Hunt. 
Regardless, the proposed terms will tip him out of the Million Dollar Club, currently a member of, alongside a select few, including Nathan Cleary and Daly Cherry Evans. It's still an investment in a lot of the future now. The future of the club, Tyrell Sloan and Cody Ramsey and Junior Ramone, they look to have their, well, not so much Sloan, but certainly the other two, their careers locked away. The talker now is Jaden Sullivan. So what happens there? Does he want to play halfback? Does he want to wait another two years if Ben Hunt, or another three years for that matter, if Ben Hunt decides to extend his stay at Wollongong? So Ben Hunt had, had earlier said, well, you know what? I was on the bench, the Broncos at 24, watching, learning off Lockyer. And look at him now. And there's validity to what he's saying. And maybe he's getting a bit patient. However, Andrew McCulloch, veteran hooker, 300 gamer, friend of the network, said as recently as last Sunday and uh, that win over the Titans that he was intent on seeing out the final year of his deal in 2023. So where does that leave Jaden Sullivan? Jacob Little from the Tigers. He might end up there as well, but he has been named to start at nine this week, Jaden Sullivan. He impressed when he came on. McCulloch went down early. Embi did a hammy. So he came off the bench wearing number 14, and he was excellent. He was dominant. He was sharp. Is he a hooker? Do you have to recalibrate some components of his game? But maybe that's his future temporarily until Ben Hunt sees out his contract, if he does indeed extend. He'll be there until 35, another three years. You may have a thought on that. 0457 736 736. Yeah, it was Matty Hayden for 180. And I told you, Adam Gilchrist, 113. I'm sure he hit the 100 in a session. Zimbabwe and Applied Australia, six declared for 735. A one for 84. Lovely straight drive down the ground. It might have been from that man who bowls a bit as well, Trevor Gripper, who got the vital wicket for Matthew Hayden for 380. Got him eventually. Got him. He's getting pasting at the moment, Brett Lee. 141.9 clicks, 0457. You're, you forget, don't you? Go, oh, this is good. This is good stuff. And they're a half competitive team too. And mullets are back in a big way. I was down at Wollongong on the weekend. My goodness. There's a fair whack of mullets down there, I can tell you. Very impressive stuff. And the reason I say that because there was Jason Dizzy Gillespie steaming in. He's a proud mullet wearer. 0457 736 736. That is the text line number. A few mullets on the Gold Coast as well. Speaking of which, Travis Main from the Courier Mail. Mal Meninga seeks clarity on his role at the Gold Coast Titans. So it's under review now, Mal's role, after the immortal last Gold Coast to clarify his position. Wasn't he the head of culture? I'd love to that to be clarified. So the Courier Mail can reveal Meninga met Titans power brokers on Monday to discuss his future involvement with the club and how he can help resurrect the Wooden Spoon contenders. The most successful state of origin coach and current Kangaroos mentor moved to the Gold Coast in late 2018 after being appointed head of performance and culture. Sorry, performance and culture at the Titans. He got his wicket there, Brett Lee, 24105. After playing a key role in the appointment of Justin Holbrook and recruiting David Fafita, Tina Faasul Maliawi, Meninga returned to Canberra for family reasons and commuted to the Gold Coast. Then COVID sort of you know, turned everything on its head. And that meant Mao was restricted from travelling to Queensland, revised his role to high-performance senior advisor. But now, after four years at the Titans, he's set to further change his involvement after asking CEO Stephen Mitchell to define a new role. So we'll wait and see. Head of performance and culture. But he did admit, Mao, that he found it difficult to contribute being away from the Gold Coast but wanted to remain involved believe the club wished to retain him. So I guess we'll wait and see. I saw somebody on Twitter say, oh, Ben Hunt was spotted having coffee with Justin Holbrook. 
This is what I mean by the silly season. What does that mean? He's going to go to the Gold Coast. Is he? Maybe. Don't think so. Don't think so. 0457 736 736 is the text line number. You know what? Let's do some birthdays. Sporting birthdays. Uh, today, born 1960, baseballer Cal Ripken Jr. Hall of Famer he was to Cal Ripken Jr. And a shortstop, which is the most prestigious position on the field, shortstop. 1965, Reggie Miller, American NBA guard for the mighty Indiana Pacers. Played from 1987 to 2005. Did he start in 87, Reggie Miller? Olympic gold, 1996, born in Riverside, California. Because it was that episode of the of Seinfeld where they go to the Knicks-Pacers game and then Kramer gets chucked out. Because, so me, Spike Lee and Reggie Miller ended up going to a strip club. 1966, happy birthday to Australian swimming royalty. Johnny Sieben, Olympic gold in the 200 fly in LA 1984. Do you remember that one? Alex doesn't because he wasn't born. Uh, he was born in Brisbane and Queensland, as was I. 1970, one... Slam wonder, Rich Beam, American golfer, won the PGA Championship 2002. Remember Rich Beam? What? I was thinking about this. Like, you think about Sean McKeel, Wai Yang, you know, Ben Curtis. These names, they just come from the clouds, win a major, and basically do nothing else in their entire career. But happy birthday to Rich Beam. He's won one more major than I ever will. Uh, born in Phoenix, Arizona this day, 1970. 1973, Inga de Bruyne, the great Dutch swimmer, born in Badendrecht in Netherlands. They're a bit of suspect. Yeah, I probably shouldn't go there. 1988 in Rugby League. couple of Rugby League birthdays today. Joel Thompson, really good fella, Joel Thompson. Had a good career with the Raiders, the Dragons, and the Seagulls. Eto Nabuli. Now, he was the one discovered by Joey and Freddie, remember? He was in the Hotel Porter. Eto Nabuli ended up playing on the wing for the Dragons, and I think he might have then gone to rugby. I so, said, you know, the next best league player might be sleeping on a floor in Fiji at the moment. That was the thinking. Eto Nabuli's birthday today. 1992, not that long ago, we are talking about this gentleman, the cyclist Matthew Glatzer. He won gold medal at the Com Games. Didn't have all his own way, too, with his bike. So happy birthday to those people all born today. It is August 24, 2022. 0457-736-736. Now, we did talk about round 25 of the National Rugby League. It's, well, it's a week and a half away. South Sydney and the Roosters. That is going to be a belter. And I think a number of codes are laying claim to being the official opening game of the new Allianz Stadium. But what about the Wallabies? They are on track to sell out their return to Allianz. September 3, corporate tickets are flying off the shelves at, at massive prices too. Apparently, according to Georgina Robinson in the Herald, prices higher than international pop sensation Justin Bieber. Quite frankly, I'd rather see the Wallabies play than go to a Bieber concert. He's the most overrated artist. Horrible voice. So next Saturday's Rugby Championship test against South Africa, that is going to be the first international match held at the new $830 million venue. Opens at doors on Sunday. It's going to be huge. Hey, when, when do um, Sydney FC finally get to tread the turf? Seal? Uh, the 8th of October. Okay, so not Northern far Victory, away. But the Matildas are opening up on the Tuesday night after, be huge, the, yeah. after the Rugby League. Mm. So there's a lot of official openings. Yes, of course yep. there is. Okay. Are you going to go to the Matildas? I've got tickets. And I'll be out there. And what about uh, Sydney FC? And Sydney FC. The, the big season, blue. Season ticket has been purchased, mm. ready to go. So I'll be out there hopefully 70-ish percent of their games this uh, season. I'm looking forward to it. Rather the, than Cogra. The, I have no love for Cogra. I beg your pardon? I have no love for Cogra. I beg your pardon. As a... Football venue or just in general? As a venue for sport. For why? 
Two very long way back if you are in the stands Beautiful. from the ground. Beautiful ground. Cracking surface. And there. the hill is not one of the better hills. Oh, how dare you. Wash your mouth out with soap, young man. Sorry. Anyway, back to the rugby test. That'll be the second test in the sports eastern suburbs heartland after Australia lost the decider against England at the SCG two months ago. So how about this? Outdoor corporate boxes seating six or eight people selling for about 1200 bucks. A person. A person. That outstrips the likes of Bieber and Bruno Mars, who are charging about 900 a person for a similar package in November and October, respectively. So single tickets to both entertainers were about the same as the price for Platinum Wallabies tickets. That's $249. The cheapest seat in the house for Bieber, 100 bucks. That is double the price of a bronze category ticket at the Wallabies for a child or teen, which is $49. Pretty decent take-up. If you're Rugby Australia, you'd be pretty chuffed by that take-up. Given their struggles in Perth and you know Adelaide this weekend, of course, it's an indication suggesting Adelaide will be what ten thousand to fifteen thousand short of its fifty-two thousand capacity for the Wallaby Springboks. It's sort of kryptonite, though. We always beat the Springboks, and that's despite tickets for the Hill selling for twenty bucks. If you're in Adelaide, twenty bucks for a Hill ticket to see the Wallabies and the Springboks—that is pretty decent. You don't get much better than that, Bieber. Is this this first? Well, he sounds like he's 10. Wasn't he discovered by Usher? Correct. Yeah, he was. And he almost was his... 10. I think he was 13. Is this baby, baby, baby. Does he still do this or is he now a serious artist? Well, he's married now. Is he? Oh, man. It's like when Madonna sort of for a long time refused to do, you know, Like a Virgin, for example. Kylie wouldn't do Like Emotion. Yeah. I wonder who is it. Well, he's married now, and I don't think it's about the girl he sang about in that song. If indeed he was singing about a girl at all. We don't know. We don't know. 20 buck tickets, Wallabies and Springboks in the Hill, Adelaide. Uh, in the Perth, uh, they didn't get 47,000. 60,000-seat Optus Stadium in July. But, uh, you know, they're really, really good numbers at Allianz Stadium, which, of course, is purpose-built uh, as a rectangular football stadium, and the seating, uh, it just looks magnificent. So very much looking forward to that. Wallaby Springboks. Got a whole round of, yeah, and the Matildas, Sydney FC, and then the Roosters and the Rabbitohs. It's all happening in the centre of Sydney, Moore Park at Allianz Stadium. That is us done and dusted for a Wednesday night right here on High Ground. Thank you, everybody, for your contribution to the program this evening. Thank you to our special guest, Ellie Cole. Thank you to Alex Cecile. I'm Jules, and we'll have a spell. Back to do it all again on Friday night right here on SEN. Bye-bye.